0: I'm glad to be back in the pulpit with you, able to open up God's Word together, and we'll be back in the book of Acts as we resume, resume this study that we've been on for quite some time. It's a study of seeing Christ's kingdom purposes unfold. How is it that Jesus, as we just sang, is King and Lord of all? How does this manifest itself now? We see it as we've been going through the book of Acts. And as we examine this morning, we're in verses 13 through 52 of chapter 13. And the ministry of the Apostle Paul is beginning to take shape. We saw a few weeks ago in verses 1 through 12, Paul was paired up with Barnabas and they went off to Cyprus. And at that point, Barnabas still seemed to be the leader of the bunch. He had brought Paul in from um, um, Tarsus to come and help him in Antioch. They're sent out from Antioch. They go to Cyprus, but then in Cyprus something happens. Paul shows off his prophetic skills. He takes on the magician that is hindering the gospel work and he rebukes him and and actually, uh, I don't think it's coincidence that this magician like Saul before becomes blinded And he's told that he must bow to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, after this moment, we come into our text this morning, and it seems that there's been a shift. Paul is now the resounding leader who's moving forward with this mission that's been sent out from Antioch. Barnabas is still with him. But we read in verse 13, now Paul and his companions, you don't see Barnabas anymore. He's there, but he's not named and no longer are we calling Paul Saul, but we're calling him Paul because a shift has happened. Paul is the leader of this bunch, it's now his companions. And they've set sail from Paphos and they've come to Perga and Pamphylia. And John, this is John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pis- Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. So we see here, Luke is going to give us a, a glimpse of, of a moment. Paul and his companions have arrived in another town called Antioch, but they've arrived into the, uh, the synagogue. It is the Sabbath day. They've come in and they are they're, they're sitting there. And what we're going to see is that like Peter in Acts chapter 2, Paul is going to stand up and he is going to address the Jews. He's going to be shown to be one of God's prophetic leaders. But what we're going to see by the end of this passage is that he is now going to be the leader of the mission to the Gentiles. In other words, he's going to lead the gospel to non-Jewish people. That's most of us. Non-Jews, Paul is going to be the leader The apostle to the Gentiles. But as we see here, we're going to see a a pattern emerge that's going to continue to go through the the book of Acts. When Paul arrives into a city on the Sabbath day, he will enter the synagogue and he will preach to the Jews first. Whoever believes will go with him, and then he'll turn to the Gentiles where he'll see much more fruit preaches here in verses 13 through 14. We see he's, he's at the synagogue. He sits down. Verse 15 says that after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Kind of get a glimpse of what a, a Sabbath day morning, this would be Saturday, morning in the synagogue would have been like. I would have read from extensive portions of the law and the prophets. It's interestingly here that when visitors would come, no doubt visitors of notoriety, visitors who were teachers of the law and the prophets, they would often say, do you have a word of encouragement for the people? And they would call them up. Well, this is exactly what happens for Paul. And, and I get a chuckle out of this. Uh, do you have a word of encouragement for us today? Um, yes, I do. I've got a word for you. And, and it's just not probably what they or expecting, and we'll, we'll dive in in just a, a few. But we find ourselves in an evangelistic sermon, an evangelistic setting. It's in a synagogue. We're, we're not a synagogue. We are non-Jews. We are the church. And so we're getting a glimpse of what this missionary activity for Paul would look like. But even though this is an evangelistic sermon for the synagogue, I want us to hear anew the power and depth of the gospel we proclaim. Oftentimes when we say, what is the gospel? And I think rightly we'll say, well, you know, Jesus died for my sins. Or Jesus loves me. And we abbreviate it. And I think that's okay. We need to be able to do that. But what I want us to see is that when Paul unpacks the gospel, there's a lot there. There's a depth to it. It even takes on a particular context which helps us think as we seek to evangelize and and minister to others. As we walk through Paul's missionary journeys, he's going to present the same gospel different ways to different audiences. He's speaking to Jews here and he's going to give a history of their heritage. Reminding them of what God has done it's going to be a particular jewish flavor to it but even though it has that flavor to it here's where i want to encourage us this morning is that as believers in the lord jesus christ we have been brought into this story their history is now our history and as we look back on these things i hope that it encourages us to remain faithful to our lord One of the purposes Luke has for recording these sermons and acts is to give us examples of how to evangelize different groups. I've spoken to some of you who have Jewish friends and you've been reaching out to them and you're you're trying to share the gospel. I would encourage you to pay particular attention this morning because now you're going to see the Apostle Paul ministering to his kinsmen. How does he reach Jews with the gospel? This is how he does it. But this passage is not only instructional for us on how to evangelize our Jewish friends who have yet to embrace their Messiah, Jesus, but it serves as an encouragement for us as we're reminded of how God has been faithful to provide salvation for us. We're reminded that the story of Christianity didn't begin when we were born or our parents. Or her grandparents. It didn't originate here in America. No, it originated somewhere in the Middle East with a man named Abram, a pagan. And this story has been carrying on for thousands of years, and we're just a blip in the storyline. Should be humbling to us. But even as we're reminded of these things, we're. We're able to see that God has been doing a work throughout history to provide salvation. This past week I was speaking with a dear brother here at Oak Park who was expressing how he has become stale in his worship. And, and as we sing songs, how, how difficult sometimes with the life's pressures, Jamin was mentioning some of these things as well, just how easily we can sing the songs and say, yeah, is Jesus really better? Lord of my life. King over all. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Oh, precious is the flow. But is it really? Maybe you've been in those seasons that are dry. You're like, I just don't sing with passion. I don't feel like this lays hold of my heart. My, My soul doesn't seem to be stirred. I am in a dry, desert season. This brother was sharing with me. I want to be there, but I, but I struggle and all the cares of the world begin to come crashing down. And so I, I, I don't long to worship. My response, hope he received it grace-filled, was that I, I understand that. I have, I have those seasons as well. And I'm a pastor. Those seasons can happen when we We forget. We forget really two things, broadly speaking. We forget the severity of our own sin. We forget the weight of our own rebellion in light of the judgment that was once upon us because we were rebels against our Creator. But in light of that reality... Oh, our hearts are filled with joy and overwhelmed with love for our Savior when we remember that He has delivered us. He has delivered us from His holy, hot wrath that was directed towards us. This morning, as we dive into Acts chapter 13, we got a lot of ground. I'm actually going to preach a sermon on a sermon. That's kind of interesting. But as we look at this, look in verse 15. They, they said, do you have a word of encouragement? This should be a word of encouragement to us. Yes. Yes, I do, Paul says. And So as we look at this word of encouragement, I want us to, to have in our mind this, that God has provided the means by which we may be right before him. That's the encouragement. That our sins are forgiven. In Paul's context, he's offering them this. I have a word of encouragement to you. Your sins can be forgiven. And so as we dive into this text, let's look at this word of encouragement. And to, and to begin with, we see that the encouragement in that God is faithful through history. God is faithful through history. Look in verse 16. So Paul stood up. And he motioned with his hands, and he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out of it. For about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until the Samuel, the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. Of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all of my will. So we look through that, that little short history. Paul has just spanned from really Abraham, the choosing of the fathers, all the way to raising up a king for them in David. A man after God's own heart. He's spanned here um, over 400 500, 600 years of time. But I want you to see here, note the emphasis upon God's actions. I've summarized this this passage to try to make it memorable if you're taking notes. Verse 17, God created Israel. He did this, you who fear God who chose our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He chose Abraham. And he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. He created a nation out of Abraham. He gave a son Isaac and Jacob. Jacob gave sons to 12 sons who were the 12 tribes of Israel. So 17, God created Israel. Again, 17, God multiplied Israel. In Egypt, they became fruitful and multiplied, right? Pharaoh began to be worried that this people was outnumbering the Egyptians. Who did that? God did. He made them great. He made them numerous. Again, verse 17. Not only that, but He delivered Israel. God created Israel. God multiplied Israel. God delivered Israel. How did He do that? We know the stories of the plagues. He changed the water into blood. He sent the the frogs. He sent the boils. And ultimately, he killed Pharaohs and anybody else's firstborn son who did not have the blood over the doorposts. God did that. And having done that, he led Israel out of Egypt. Not only that, verse 18, God preserved Israel Luke records it, and I think pretty well, verse 18, for about 40 years he put up with them. (laughs) If You know the stories, right? Hey, God, you going to feed us? No, I just parted the Red Sea for no reason. (laughs) Just to leave you out here in the desert to die. Yes, I'll feed you. Uh, You're going to, you know, day one, manna from heaven, this is awesome. Quail. Oh, man, those meat pots in Egypt were great. Yeah, but you didn't have much time to eat it because you were in slavery. Yeah, we're tired of the same old same old God. You must not love us. Where'd Moses go? He's been up on that mountain. He forgot about us. Hey, Aaron, can you make us a golden calf so we can worship it? Uh, yeah, I can do that. Hey, I've defeated all your enemies. I've led you out of Egypt. Oh no, those people in Jericho, we can't, we can't take them. No, we're done. They're bigger. We're like grasshoppers. You know, They're going to stomp us. No, I've done these things for you and you do not believe. They put God to the test. They grumbled. They, they were tempted. They were idolaters. They were immoral. They doubted. But God put up with them as a whole. Some of them died. But he put up with them. In other words, God preserved Israel. Not only that, verse 19, God planted Israel. After destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them a land as inheritance. Not only that, he judged Israel, verse 20. And when I mean judged, I guess both ways, but he raised up judges. We think of Deborah, Gideon, Samson. Those who God raised up to judge and rule and govern over Israel. When she was in trouble and the nations were coming in and encroaching upon her and leading her away to, to, to back in idolatry, the God was merciful, He remembered them. And then verses 21 through 22, God kinged Israel, gave them Saul after they asked for a king. Israel wanted a king like the nations. They went to Samuel and they said, You know, we want to be like all the other guys around the block. We want a king like they do. That's not a good idea. You don't want a king like the other nations. Yes, we do. God, all right, I'll give them what they asked for. You want Saul? Here's Saul. And look, as for a king, God gave them Saul. And when he had removed him, so it was like for 40 years they had Saul. All right, now you learned your lesson. That that didn't turn out well. God removed him. And he raised up David. He raised up a king after his own heart. That's a good word for us, isn't it? Do we want a king who's like the other nations? One who we look at and he's powerful, he's mighty, or she is powerful and mighty. God goes after the king who's after his own heart. It's interesting as we look back at this history, we see God's faithfulness, right? From beginning to end, God was faithful, creating Israel, sustaining Israel, giving her all her needs and raising up a king for her. But even as we look at this, we're reminded of several other things. Number one, God's faithfulness didn't happen overnight, did it? I mean, this first part been 450 years since Abraham. Hey, I promised to make you a nation 450 years later. Abraham's dead. But God was still faithful. That's an encouragement to us, isn't it? Because so often when we get in our temptations like Israel in the wilderness, you must not care about me or you've forgotten about us. We, 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 we judge it over a span of a week, a month, a year, a decade. But what we see here is that God works out His purposes over centuries. And when we can look back at the history and look at it kind of in a, in a, in a, in a, on its own, put together, oh, now I can see. Oh, God, you were good. But also we can see that God remains faithful even when we're faithless, right? I mean, everywhere we go in this story, if you're familiar with this history, Israel's not, like, doing this well. Even when he delivered them out of Egypt... They're complaining. Moses? No. Manna? No. Wilderness? Ugh. Why are you doing it this way, God? I don't approve. We want a king like the other nations. Even David, he is a man after God's own heart, but yet David was flawed, was he not? He was a murderer, an adulteress, a liar. And yet, even through the fallenness, God has remained faithful through this history. That is a word for us as we look back even in our short span of history in light of God's history. Just because we're experiencing light and momentary affliction, and light, that's kind of tongue-in-cheek, right? It's light when we're not experiencing it. But in the midst of the storm, it feels heavy. We can become myopic we can we can fail to realize that oh god is doing a lot more than just my little world look in verse 23 not all this had a purpose this was just to bring us a savior he's talking about david and he says of this man's offspring god has brought to israel a savior jesus God had a purpose in this long, drawn-out history. Think about the judges. Every judge is like a savior, right? And they're not perfect. But each glimpse, they're each different. They each have a category or a characteristic about them. But that teaches one element. Israel needs a deliverer. And even when Israel says, yep, we need a king, we'll do it on our terms. Nope, you need the king that God provides. And God was teaching Israel, you need a Savior. You need a Savior. And if we begin to look back at Israel's life and history, we we can see ourselves there, can't we? We can see ourselves grumbling and complaining. We can see ourselves making poor decisions in the past. We can even see ourselves prior to when God saved us and how he was merciful to put up with us. And yet, we might even be able to look back in our life and in the history of our life, and even the parents he's given us, or the grandparents, or that time he sat us in the church service or camp, and how providentially he worked to deliver us a Savior. And Paul's reminding these Jews in the synagogue of this very thing. And he goes on and he reminds them of John the Baptist who, who prepared the way for him. He says, before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. In other words, you know you needed a Savior. When John came, he was very popular. You were all coming, being baptized, preparing the way of the Lord, anticipating his deliverance to come because you knew you were sinners. Well, The one he was talking about, he, he mentions... Verse 25, and as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. I'm not the deliverer. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. God was faithful to bring a Savior, he's telling them. And we're being reminded, God throughout history has been faithful Paul now seeks to prove that Jesus is this Savior. He is the offspring of David, the Savior who is to come. And and so we're encouraged now here by the fulfillment of God's promises. Look in verse 26. Brothers and sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. And when he's saying us, he's saying you and me, all of us. God has sent a message, the word, the gospel. Of this salvation that He's provided, this has happened. That's why we're here to tell you today. And what He's going to unpack for them is that Jesus fulfilled the Scriptures. That Jesus is the one whom God was preparing, and the Scriptures were pointing to. Look in verses twenty-seven to twenty-nine, and, and He unpacks kind of Jesus' unjust death. Verse twenty-eight. Actually, verse 27, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. In other words, your history continues. All that grumbling, all that complaining, all that testing, you guys still did it. But I want you to know that even in your rebellion, God's been faithful. You just fulfilled the scriptures that you would read in your synagogue Sunday after Sunday, or Saturday after Saturday. You fulfilled them. God still being faithful. Verse 28: Though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Paul is likely um, drawing from Isaiah. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet open not his mouth. When we think back at the, the, the gospel accounts, they would charge him with crimes he did not commit, and he would not open his mouth. And they would strike him and he would not revile in return. And as Isaiah writes, like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Not only that, but crucifixion and burial fulfilled the scriptures. Isaiah speaks of this as well. They made his grave with the wicked. He was condemned like a criminal. They took him off the tree, and they laid him in a tomb. This tomb, Isaiah says, is with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. They were fulfilling the Scriptures. God was carrying out history before them. But even though Israel had sinned in such a horrific fashion, rejecting the God or the Savior that God had provided for her, Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. You did this, that, and the other, but God. Paul will apply this to our lives in Ephesians chapter 2. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. You were at one time children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God made us alive together with Christ. See how the resurrection begins to set the pattern and the hope of the resurrection applies to us as gospel believers. Not only was Jesus raised, but verse 31, In many days He appeared to those who had come up with Him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now His witnesses to the people. In other words, He's appeared to the apostles. Paul wants them to know? And the apostles have been able to proclaim this message. But what was the significance about this resurrection? There's lots of things that we could could point out here. but, But what Paul wants his audience to realize is that Jesus is this king you've been waiting for. Verse 32. And we bring you the good news. All right, this is good. Good and encouraging news that what God promised to the fathers, who were the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the way at the beginning of the sermon. The promises he made to them, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. And then he quotes Psalm 2 You are my son, today I have begotten you. What does that have to do with anything? Well, it's not saying that somehow Jesus was a created being, that today, whatever day that was, that he now became the Son of God in the sense that he was created, born, birthed, or, or something like that. No, this is a Davidic psalm, and if you read Psalm 2, it's about God giving his anointed one the sonship of David, putting him on the throne of David to rule the nations and to rule his people. And what Paul and the apostles are saying is that at the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, Christ in that time and in, by his resurrection has been appointed to the Davidic throne. And so when you see that he has arisen and he sits at the right hand of the Father, those phrases come from David At least the Davidic Psalms. That now Jesus is the one sitting on the throne because of his resurrection from the dead, and he's reigning over his people and he's reigning in the world. And they would have known that reading, oh, Psalm 2, oh, he's the one to come. But how do we know he's the one? Well, he goes on. And as for the fact that he has raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. Jamin read this to us in our pastoral uh, prayer time from Psalm 16. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. And therefore, he also says in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. In other words, by the resurrection of the dead, Jesus fulfills these promises to David and his offspring that You're going to have a child who's not going to decay in the grave. Because I'm going to give you a kingdom that lasts forever. And if it's going to last forever, you've got to have a king who can sit on the throne forever. And therefore, he's not going to see corruption. And so Paul begins to unpack it and he says, Well, David, let's think about this. It wasn't talking about him. After he served the purposes of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. And he was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. In other words, he went back to dust. If we were able to find his burial grounds, there'd be nothing there. Maybe some bones. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Also, oh, these psalms were looking to another. These prophecies were looking to another. King to sit on the throne of David. And by virtue of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, He fulfills them. And so He tells them, verse 38, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Oh no, now God has he's provided our greatest need. God has given us the King that we have awaited for. And so this is the third element that we should be encouraged by. The proclamation of God's forgiveness came about in Christ's life. What is sin? If you were to describe sin, what would you say? Sometimes when I talk to people, I say, you know, do you see yourself as a sinner? And they say, well, I've made mistakes. Of course, everybody's a sinner. And that one element, that's True mistakes but it's far greater than that isn't it sin is, is is better to be understood as a disease it's infected every element of your body doesn't mean that you have it in the same concentration levels at every sphere of your your body but it has touched and tainted everything that we are and everything we do and it manifests itself in a particular way and that is rebellion. Sin is rebellion against the Creator. God created the world in six days. He said, let there be light and light shone. He, he, he said, uh, let the, the earth be filled with, with birds of the sky and the sea to be filled with the fish of the sea and the land to have the beasts of the field. The oceans you can go only this far. The mountains you will raise. Man, do not eat of this fruit. No. You see the difference? God's commanding the creation into being. Everything else does exactly as he says. Man, no. That's what we do. And we see it in our own heart. Those of us who have children, we've seen it in the heart of our children. Andrew's perfected the polite no. Hey, I want you to no thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm not asking. I'm telling you. But let me tell you, us, that He who opposes the Creator will be crushed. And that's where all the world is. When we, and, and those who refuse to submit to the Lordship of Christ in their lives... Will be smashed by the Davidic king. But notice what he says in verse 39, "And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses." You've read the Old Testament? You haven't? Well, there's laws. How you should live. How you should worship God. And it can be summarized in the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments can be summarized in the two great commandments. Love God and love neighbor. We don't do that. We're idolaters. We lie. We steal. We're adulterers. We're we're murderers. And the law condemns every person on the face of the planet because it reveals the character of god not only reveals the character of god but it shows us our sin our rebellion and the law says who whoever does not keep every word of the law will be cursed that is god's judgment of wrath upon us for eternity And Paul says, I have a word of encouragement. You can be freed. That word is justified. You can be justified. You can be made right before God, which you could not have been by the law of Moses. In other words, you can't be good enough, and you know it. You know you're a sinner, you know you need a Savior. And Jesus has come, God has been faithful to justify us, to free us from the demands of the law, from the curse of the law. And then look in verse 40. He says to them, Beware therefore lest what is said in the prophet should come about. Look, you scoffers, be assounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. He's quoting from Habakkuk. Habakkuk 1. If you know Habakkuk at all, Habakkuk's a prophet of God. Israel is in blatant sin and rebellion. And Habakkuk has prayed, Lord, do something. And God replies, this is what you're going to say. In other words, I'm going to do something and you're not going to believe it. It's going to be so out of your just expectations. And what was that? I'm going to bring in a foreign nation to judge you. But it looked forward to a day in which God was going to bring deliverance and work repentance in his people in a way they didn't expect, and that was a crucified Savior. In other words, let it not be said of you as it was said of your ancestors under the ministry of Habakkuk. That God is doing a work in front of you. He's giving you the message of salvation. And you scoff at it. And you harden your heart. And you do not believe it, even when someone tells it to you. It's a warning. good news it's to everyone who believes but let it not be said of you that you would not believe because you've been told that's my prayer for any of us maybe you've grown up in the church maybe you've been coming to church all your life or you're somewhat quasi religious you you know the stories of the bible and you think hey that will get me in i've been here i've paid my dues i'm a pretty good person And even though you hear the gospel preached to you Sunday after Sunday, let these words seek in. Beware lest what is said be spoken of you. Though you have ears, you did not hear. And those you had eyes, you did not see because you refused to submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ. Refused to believe the message applied to you. This is the end of at least of what Luke records for the sermon, what took place. But in the rest of the passage, we get to see the response. And, and we're just going to briefly close as we look through these responses. But well, here's where I want you to think. How do how have I responded? How have I responded to the gospel? To this good news, the word of encouragement that God is faithful, that Christ has fulfilled the scriptures, and that He has now provided forgiveness of sins. How have I responded? Verse 32 As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. Man, that is a preacher's dream, I can tell you that. Hey, can you come back next Sunday and keep preaching? Yeah. Some of you are going to be funny afterwards, I know it. So they beg him, we want to hear more of this. We'll find out if that's genuine. Verse 43, and then after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many of the Jews, devout converts to Judaism, followed Paul and Barnabas as they spoke with them. But I want you to see what Paul and Barnabas, how they encouraged them. They urge them to continue in the grace of God. They've heard these things and they're probably saying, okay, what do we do now? What do we do? Believe. Okay, yeah, yeah, but what else do we do? Continue in the grace of God. In other words, I've shared with you the good news. Remain in it. This is a word to us. We must continue believing. When we become Christians, we don't one-time repent, one-time believe, and then we do our life. No, we're always repenting and believing. Always repenting and believing. And that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas say. Okay, you, you've heard these things. You, you like what you hear. Well, then continue in them. Look what happened the next Sabbath, verse 44. Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Well, that's good. I mean, we would say, oh, Man. This is fantastic. There's a but. Verse forty five. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul, what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. What happened? Hey, we beg of you to come and keep giving us these things. Oh, what should we do? What should we do? Continue the grace in God. Continue. Next Sabbath day, we're here to, who invited that guy and that girl? Oh no, everybody in town, which were, guess what? Gentiles. The people not like them. The word had gotten out. There's, there's, there's forgiveness of sins. This guy has provided a message that tells us that if we believe in this one named Jesus, we can have our sins forgiven. Yes. Hey, you're not allowed here. Get this Paul out of here. He, what he said doesn't apply to you. And you begin to complain. They begin to contradict. They are filled with jealousy. And the idea here is rage, zeal. Get these filthy people out of here. Yeah, I don't think they got the message. So we see here, they, they reject it. Look how Paul and Barnabas respond spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the Word of God be spoken to you first. To the Jew first, and then the Greek. It's necessary. This is your Messiah. This is your history. And God is extending mercy to you. He's not bypassing you, and yet you reject it. And so he goes on, he says, And since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Paul unpacks this in Romans 9 through 11. I would love to go there. I got two minutes. He says, we're turning to the Gentiles. He says, and actually this was part of the plan as well. Verse 47. So the Lord has commanded us saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This has been God's plan. And when the Gentiles heard this, what did they do? They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Not everybody believed. Only those who were appointed did. You see, they received the word with joy. They realized we were once lost. But God has sought us out in Jesus Christ, and we have a Savior. And as a result, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole regions. The Jews didn't give up. The Jews incited the devout women of the high standing leaders and men of the city, stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Someone was asking me, I think it's Joshua. We're talking about our ministry to um, the football students football team at Jeff High and and I've had people say how are you all able to do that like that would not fly at any other school and and oftentimes I I say it's because these parents I think they 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 like the influence they love it we hear from them sometimes oh we're so thankful for what you do there's 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 kind of a, a simplicity to life but I look back at my high school he was actually under a lawsuit because the football team prays before the game? But I look at the two types of people who represents those programs, and I see in my hometown the elite, the powerful, the mighty. They don't want anything to do with this. You see this here. They go after the leaders of the community. And they say they're proclaiming another king and I kick him out of town. It's kind of just a subtle thing that Luke lets us know that that not many of us are mighty. Not many of us are of good repute. Not many of us are of the powerful and the, the influential. There's far more receptivity in those areas. Nevertheless, verse 51, they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. What about those disciples that were left, who believed? Even though all this was going on, they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. How are we going to respond when we hear this message? What's our posture? I pray that we'll respond in worship, and I'm going to invite Jamin and the team who's leading us in song. We'll have two more songs, but as they come up, I want, I want to read to you the exhortation from the book of Hebrews, reminding us of the, of the fact that Jesus is better, better promises that are ours in Him. And, He contrasts it with the reality prior to Christ. And the writer of Hebrews says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. He's talking about Mount Sinai. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you, it's you and me, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus is better, and he has extended a salvation to us. Let us not be those who reject the word. Let's stand and let's sing as we go about and worship.